0: I'm Katie
1: and I'm Steve and this is the City of Reading Podcast. Welcome to part two of our three-part series on the homelessness crisis in Reading. In this episode, we talk with Hill Country Community Clinic CEO Lynn Dora and Integrated Operations Director Joe Campbell about the Reading Mobile Crisis Response Team. We discuss how they're collaborating with the Reading Police Department to respond to a wide variety of mental health calls.
0: When successful, this saves Redding's law enforcement resources for larger crime-related issues and provides mental health services to those experiencing a crisis. It's truly a win-win scenario, but the program does have its challenges.
1: We will discuss how the program came about, what the challenges are, and what role Hill Country is playing in the larger Redding homelessness crisis in this episode. And if you missed part one with Police Chief Bill Schuler, be sure to give it a listen for full context on the policing side of the experience.
0: Thanks both of you for joining us today. Can you introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about what you do for Hill Country Community Clinic? So my name is
2: Joe Campbell and I am the Integrated Operations Director for Hill Country Community Clinic. Um, I am professionally trained as a clinical social worker and I actually still do see patients a day and a half a week and I've lived in the Reading community for 20 years. So Prior to working at Hill Country, was actually had a job in the business. sector. So I've been around and been in this community a long time.
3: And I'm Lynn Doro, and I'm the CEO of Hill Country. I'm one of the founders of Hill Country. It opened in 1985 out in Round Mountain. And we began our move into Redding about five years ago because of the unmet need that we saw there. I also, uh, in my past life, I was a marriage and family therapist. So from the beginning, I brought a, a perspective of integrating mental health into medical care here at Hill Country.
1: And for the listeners, can you give us a little overview on, on what uh, Hill Country Community Clinic is and, and what services they provide for both Reading and the greater, the greater Reading community?
3: Sure. So Hill Country is is a community clinic. And in that category, we are also a federally qualified health center. What that means is that we get 10 or 12% of our budget now these days from the federal government. And we get that funding by promising to fulfill the obligation of serving everyone regardless of their ability to pay and providing them really comprehensive services.
1: Uh, maybe can you also tell us a little bit about the exciting Center of Hope that's on the horizon?
3: Oh, yeah. Our chief financial officer, who is a very unusual numbers guy with a huge heart and a big vision, had the idea of the Center of Hope, which and he envisioned it initially as a campus where we would provide all of the services that I just described in one place in Reading. Right now, we're kind of scattered around Reading. And we would also provide some housing for homeless people. And the Center of Hope will be finished this summer. We'll Hopefully, we're going to be moving in in June and seeing our first patient in July. It's located on industrial, right behind Lowe's and right behind the post office. So kind of tucked away, but in a really a lovely location on property that was donated by the McConnell Foundation. So the Center of Hope is very exciting. And um, it will be great to have all those services under one roof.
0: The homeless population is is varied. It varies by age, it varies by race. What's your take on what the homeless population looks like in Reading right now?
3: I think what you said is really true. And part of the challenge of addressing homelessness in in Reading, in California, in the country, is to try to oversimplify the issue. Because there are actually many reasons why people are homeless. And there's many subpopulations of homeless people. Who need somewhat different solutions to solve their the challenges that they have. Also, about five years ago, we began a really aggressive effort to integrate substance use disorder treatment into our medical services, because it is. In, I've been doing this work in Shasta County for the last forty years, and every needs assessment I've ever read or participated in conducting. Has identified substance use as the biggest community health problem. And that, that is still true. So, COVID has made SUD issues worse. People have relapsed who have been stable for some period, period of time. For people with serious mental illness or, or without serious mental illness, but who suffer from depression and anxiety, those symptoms have been exacerbated and uh, people have lost jobs, making all of those. Things were so. Um, so I think that right now in Reading, the um, the impact of COVID is being felt. I think that it remains a pretty politically charged issue here, as everywhere. I don't believe that there's one solution that's gonna reach everybody. Joe, what
2: yeah. would you say? I mean, I think the thing that I would say to that, all of those things, is Amen. It it is a really complex issue. It is driven by the economics and the lack of affordable housing in a community. I mean, you can just you can just look at the state of California and see where housing, where the homeless population seems to have grown exponentially. And it will be places where the income level get too far apart. And then there is a drive in the housing prices. So you know, we all have to work together. It's going to take all of us to solve it. Um, one of the things that if you've been around me at all, that I I am just delusional enough to believe that this is a county of 179,000 people, we can solve some things. I don't know how they do it in L.A. County, and I don't want to try. But I think in a, in a county of 179,000 people and and going through things like the car fire, when you really see this community, even though... There can be really uh, very differences politically and it feels sometimes like you know people are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Put this community in a crisis and they'll step up to the plate because everybody really wants the same things. We think that we think sometimes the pathways are different, but we all kind of want we all really want the same thing. And we don't want people to be unhoused in our community and everything that that means. We don't you know we don't necessarily want an encampment. And what that means in our community, and so how do we then solve that together? And because the issue is complex, the solutions are going to be complex, and we're going to have to be willing to try some things and allow some, and to learn some lessons and go, wow, that didn't work out, but continue to try to solve the problem.
0: And on that note, do you, do you see Reading as better off or or in a worse place than the rest of the state?
3: I would say that I think that we are perhaps marginally better off than some other cities, and you know, big cities certainly, and and smaller cities similar to us as well, because what Reading has had is um, is some very tenacious leadership over mm. in the last many years. You know, Kristen Schrader deserves a shout out here because she has been so committed to this issue for. The last six years, uh, Donnell at Health and Human Services is a big thinker and is always trying to figure out what's next. We had a recent me- meeting with Barry Tippin and I was inspired by his commitment to trying to do something about this. The other thing about homelessness is that you don't fix it overnight. We work really closely with K2 development. And um, in addition to building, you know, all this amazing stuff downtown, they're a very sizable, affordable housing developer. So there are currently hundreds of units in development in Reading, some of them in, in construction right now, some of them being leased up for the first time now. The remainder of the property at behind the center of hope, which McConnell retained. There's a two phase development by K2 and McConnell in partnership going in there. Phase one will be 50 units. Phase two will be 50 units of all affordable housing. And those things take time to, to develop. And I think that, you know, how many different ideas have there been over the last five years to develop some sort of a tiny house project or a hut project and now there's potentially some real legs under that to to do this micro shelter project and each iteration learned some lessons and got closer to operationalizing a solution so i i'm more hopeful than i was a couple of years ago actually
1: that, I mean, that's a real reason for optimism. That's, that's, that's really positive to hear. Switching gears a little bit, can you talk to us about the partnership between Hill Country and the Reading Police Department and the, the crisis response team and kind of how that came about and what that looks like on a, on a day-to-day, as a day-to-day operation?
3: Sure. I'll start it out because I was part of how it came about. And then Joe's been very involved in how, it, how it's actually going now. So Shasta County competed for and was awarded a whole person care pilot project, which essentially was a different model of how to get services to a specific target population. In this case, the target population was people who are homeless, at risk of homelessness, and frequent utilizers of hospital medical services. Hill Country and Shasta Community Health Center have had teams of a nurse and a case manager going out onto the streets for the last five years, um, finding people who met those criteria, engaging them in services, and ultimately trying to help them find housing. So that's been a successful piece of that program. And then another component in it was a mobile crisis outreach team. So that's how our program got started. And it's really the purpose of this whole whole person care project is to more effectively deliver health care services. In many places, the calls to those services only come from law enforcement or 911 dispatch. Here, our program is able to receive and respond to calls from family members, neighbors, business owners, all those kinds of things. Uh, there are a lot of people who could use care center services but they don't walk through the door of the care center. So mobile crisis has become a way for us to reach some of those folks. And I'll let Joe talk about how the the partnership with law enforcement and RPD in specific has evolved.
2: You know, one of the goals of the mobile crisis outreach team and the effort, the collaboration between uh, law enforcement, between health and human services and Hill Country has been to Alleviate the pressure that's on um, RPD in particular. That are the mental health calls. Like it, there isn't, uh, you know, necessarily any sort of risk in terms of, you know, violence or something like that. But there is a person who's definitely in distress, and it takes time, you know, to to kind of get that and get that person to where they need to go. And so to partner with law enforcement as a way to you know, alleviate sort of some of those calls, those calls for service that do take a long time that really um, a mental health provider like myself is best suited with the help of a case manager to actually kind of solve that. And then RPD can get on to public safety, you know, things that are legitimate public safety concerns. And so that's really where it started. Now, I will say this, that one of the things that I didn't want to do is I didn't want to bring this great thing to our community as a pilot project and then have it go away. you know, have everybody kind of get on board and like it and think it's really providing a service and then it, it goes away. And that's really what was happening really across the state and other counties that had it. And one of the things that was really clear um, from talking to those other counties is that mental health providers like myself and law enforcement, officers like Chief Schuler and his team, are not exactly the same animals. Like we're different animals a little bit. Um, But like what I said in the beginning, we all want the same thing. So I really be listening to those other counties. I was like, okay, if we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this in a sustainable way, the linchpin is gonna be that this is, that law enforcement feels like this is helpful. Like we're providing a service and that the mental health providers Feel like that they are having a meaningful impact, like that this is actually a good partnership. And when we've done it well, which honestly, it's been more those kind of feedbacks for one another, like my staff saying, wow, we just had an amazing interaction with an officer from RPD, or vice versa, you know, somebody in the community saying, we got so much help from mobile crisis. It was so nice to not have to call RPD for my family member, like which just reinforces it on, on both sides for us all to say, okay, this is really working. This is really helpful. And the first year, the data said that 9% of our calls came from law enforcement. But then by the second year, um, we were getting more like 20% of our calls call- coming from law enforcement. Just like everything else in this community it, it gets built by relationships and making those connections and learning to trust each other. And that's really
0: exactly what's happened. Joe, can wanna, you give us a, can you give us a practical, for instance, like, like give us a hypothetical scenario where the mobile crisis team would go out and work with RPD and what does that look like?
2: Um, so it's an incident where someone, uh, family member or somebody in the community contacts RPD because we don't know who else to contact because they're concerned of a family member at home that they haven't heard from and they think might be in a mental health crisis. So we used to call those welfare checks. And that's a situation where if there's not weapons, if there's not, that's something that um, RPD can deploy mobile crisis to. If there's any concerns, one of the things I will say about our local law enforcement is that they're very protective of us. And so if there's ever any hint that there'd be a concern, they might deploy us to the location, but they'll go first and make sure that, you know, it's a safe place for us to be. And then they go about and do their service and we take care of the person and the situation and try to meet any needs that, that become apparent as a result of that visit. Does that answer, give a, an example? Yes.
1: And, and Lynn, you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: I was just going to say, I, I want to give a shout out specifically to Chief Shuler, because I know that Chief Shuler had conversations with Donnell Eward at Health and Human Services. And Donnell alerted me that there was, you know, they, they wanted to have a meeting and figure out how to use mo- mobile crisis more effectively. And those meetings have continued. And the, the outcome of those meetings has been that we we will continue As long as we can find the funding to keep employing a couple of people, we will continue to do our mobile crisis team. But RPD and perhaps the sheriff's department in collaboration are about to launch another crisis team called the Crisis Intervention Response Team, which will consist of uh, law enforcement personnel with a county, Shasta County Mental Health Clinician. And then the calls that are deemed to be potentially dangerous, that team will go to. And then if they get there and find out it's not dangerous, they can call in our team to take the hours that might be required to resolve the situation. But that's an exciting development. And I feel like the the commitment of the city especially has only grown um, as we've begun to work more closely together.
1: And so, and Lynn, I mean, what does the future look like for the, for the Hill Country RPD partnership specifically, or is that still kind of an unknown at this point?
3: Well, I think that um, the unknown part is where are the dollars going to come from. You know, we've got a, a deep commitment to continuing it because it for Hill Country, it really has been kind of step one of a continuum of care that has steps towards recovery and living a whole healthy life in a safe house and, and all that kind of stuff. So we tremendously see its value.
1: And, and I'm thinking too, I mean, with a program like this, Joe, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, if, you know, if the program didn't continue and then pick back up again, you know, when funding came back, say a, a year or two from now, I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's tough to hit the ground running right where you left off because of those partnerships and because of all those other, you know, elements that are in play with with something as, as kind of, um, you know, something like this.
2: Yeah. I mean, I will say in those other counties where um the those programs went away, it, it was because that they were um, underutilized. So I think our goal is like six calls a day or something like that, that we, that we have to make it sustainable. And there are, there are huge counties who were getting like one call a day. You know, one of the things that we did in the beginning is we realized this can't just be a law enforcement thing. Like we have to, we all had to kind of be a part. And so we went and presented mobile crisis and passed out our cards and numbers to neighborhood watch groups. We went to the Reading Chamber. We went to, I mean, really, honestly, we went to anybody who would listen to us and let us talk about mobile crisis. Um, because I really believed, we really believed as a clinic, that the only way that we're going to get to that, those kind of numbers is if everybody is using mobile crisis. And, um, and this community has, you know, done a great job of. And the funny thing is, is we got enough out there in front of people that if they don't have the mobile crisis card anymore, but they happen to have my cell phone number, I'll give a text or a call and be like, "Hey, I need the mobile crisis number," and um, you know, get get it out and get people the help that they need.
1: And, and and to that point, Joe, I mean, what is the best way for folks who, you know, who who Know that this program is in existence. Say they have an instance where they need need assistance. I mean, you mentioned earlier your team can take calls. Also, calls come mm-hmm. from RPD and and from nine one one Chascom and whatnot. What is the best way for folks to get a hold of the mobile crisis team?
2: So the best way is to call. Um, uh, there is two phone numbers. If you want general information about mobile crisis, the phone number is uh, 530-238-7134. If it's an urgent response, which is a phone that goes straight to the clinician, it's 530 238 7133. And you just make that call. And if they, if you get a voicemail, it usually means that they're dealing with something. But if you leave a message, they return 100% of their voicemails.
0: And kind of on the subject of the police partnership, I mean, if you, you've you got these call numbers that you'd like to see a day to make sure that your program is robust and that you are reaching enough people with a mobile crisis unit, I know the police on their end are also doing mental health training and mental health crisis mitigation. Where do those two things meet where it feels like it's a good balance of, you know, the police have some training in mental health and are aware of the situation, but they aren't necessarily mental health professionals. So at what point? Do those two things kind of meet to create a balance?
2: I mean, I think if you're well trained and you're a law enforcement, you know, you can get trained in how to de escalate, how to recognize a mental health crisis, and then be equipped with what your next steps are. I think it's their ability to know like when i can help and when i need to turn this over to somebody who has more training in this no different than our side of the equation like that was one of the things that we got quizzed a lot about in the beginning with law enforcement is how how are we going to be sure that you don't get in over your head mental health worker and get yourself in a dangerous situation and make it make my job for law enforcement a lot more difficult you know to be able to recognize like you know where is my where's my line and where do i need support and and when to call and then to be really responsive to each other when we're called, which we've, we've done a really good job of that.
0: And do you feel like you've learned, you've learned a lot along that process of when to, when to kind of draw the line for yourself as you know, your team has learned when kind of when to call for reinforcement on the uh, RPD side?
2: Yeah, I would say for our team, because we, none of us really had experience doing this that we've always erred on the side of um, we're not going to put ourselves into any, you know, dangerous or risky situations, that we've always erred on the side of calling law enforcement pretty quickly if if we even felt like there was a hint of it. And sometimes just the assessment over the phone gives you enough information to know that you need law enforcement with you, or it's actually a more appropriate call to go direct with the law enforcement. And then we just reach law enforcement and do it that way.
1: I mean, kind of a question for both you, in general, would you say that there's there's hope for addressing homelessness in Reading uh, in the future and moving forward?
3: I absolutely feel hopeful about it. We're a more sophisticated community than we were five years ago. And we have a lot of housing about to come online, you know, and that, that's going to continue for the next couple of years. There's going to be a lot of government money available that can be used for, for the, to solve the homeless crisis. Unfortunately, building anything is really expensive and it takes a long time. But luckily, we started a bunch of units a long time ago and those are, are now coming online. Another thing that I I don't know if you've heard about or not, and I don't know a lot about it, but probably a year and a half ago, Joe and I were in D.C. at a meeting. In a project that we're in with five different or eight projects around the United States that are uh, trying to develop resources and programs to serve people with the most complex health and social needs. And while we were there, we heard about an approach that had been used successfully in a few communities called Functional Zero. And Functional Zero has now uh, resurfaced in our lives here in California. Kern County and the city of Bakersfield together. Uh, implemented a functional zero approach where functional zero referring to the fact that they've essentially ended chronic homelessness, And at any day and point in time, there will be a, a person that could meet that criteria. But essentially, they've ended that subset of the entire homeless problem. And now the focus is on people just falling into homelessness. That effort is gaining ahead of steam here in, Cal- in Shasta County. There's a, a call next week that I'm going to be on with the Kern County folks to hear from them how they did it. And, you know, the city has some efforts going on with micro shelters,
2: and there are a lot of things to be hopeful about. I heard, a, I don't know, I have no, I can't verify that this is actually true, but I've heard a rumor in the housing world that there's a developer or builder in town who is, has their eye on a 3D printer to do 3D printed homes, which if you've done any research on the 3D printed homes, like it's incredible and it's fast and it's affordable and the maintenance is amazing. So, I mean, I, and I would say that I'm very hopeful because I think that there's a lot of innovation in this community and a lot of will to help people in this community. And honestly, even though it's easy to get discouraged, we have leadership in the city and leadership in the county who is really committed to really solve the issues, our issues, and meet the needs of the people in, in Reading and in Shasta County.
0: And lastly, do you do you have any advice for the community on how they should personally approach homelessness um, or approach somebody who is experiencing homelessness in the community?
3: Well, what I what I tell people in, um, in this concept of that homelessness is a broad ranging problem and we need to divide it into subsets of and develop targeted solutions. Our subset is people with mental illness and often accompanying addiction issues. So, for when I, when people call me and say, "Oh my god, there's this person that's on the on South Market Street between here and here. I see them four times a week. She's going to get hit by a car. What do I do?" I say, "Well, the next time you're there and you see her, call the mobile crisis team." And so that was our intention from the very beginning is that then when any community member saw somebody on the street, who was talking to themselves, who seemed like they might be putting themselves at risk, here's a phone number that you can call and somebody will come.
1: That's fantastic. That's great. Um, are there any anything else that we haven't discussed today that, that either of you wanted to, to touch upon?
3: You know, the only thing I guess I would add is that, um, and we kind of talked around it, but not said it straight out, is that in the state of California, Shasta County, has really quite a positive reputation for the way in which city, county, governments and the private sector, the private nonprofit service sector work together. And that's really true. I mean, you know, when I go to, when I used to go somewhere to a meeting um, (laughs) uh, with people in other counties, they are astonished at the goodwill that exists between us all here and that's something really for us to be proud of and to to rely upon as we try to solve these problems. And I think that the, the network of people trying to tackle homelessness has only gotten stronger and we've gotten to know each other more and trust each other more. So uh, I think that, um, that that's, a, that's a point of pride for Shasta County.
0: As a reminder, we are really looking for community feedback For this podcast, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for episodes, please email us at podcast at cityofreading.org. We'd love to hear from you and incorporate those questions into future episodes.